The To Die For Daily Podcast is brought to you by R is for Revenge Dress, written by Kinsey Schofield and published by Post Hill Press. R is for Revenge Dress explores the celebrated life of Princess Diana through the alphabet, hitting bookshelves November of 2022. Pre-order R is for Revenge Dress at Amazon or Barnes & Noble today. Love the British monarchy. You've come to the right place. Welcome to the To Die For Daily Podcast with Kinsey Schofield. Take it away, Kinsey. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the To Die For Daily Podcast. I'm here with Cameron Walker, who has become a very good royal friend of mine. Cameron, we met at Jubilee, but you are the official GB News royal reporter. And this is so cool because GB News is about uh, over a year old now. Um, I'd want to say it's one of the fastest growing networks in the UK, except you are really kind of global thanks to a huge and very active YouTube presence. Um, so I feel like you have people watching from all over the world. Tell me, what is your favorite thing that you have covered so far as a royal reporter for GB News? God, there's certainly a lot, Kinsey. I think for me, my big one was going to Canada on tour with the Prince of Wales and Duchess of Cornwall. It was my first royal tour. I got to go on the media bus. Uh, with all the other royal correspondents who'd be doing it for years and years. And, you know, for me as a 25-year-old, relatively new reporter, it was just a dream come true being that up close and personal with uh, with the royal family, getting to hang out with a load of horses at the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's uh, kind of training branch in Ottawa, the country's capital, trying lots and lots of maple syrup because I, I love that stuff <laughs> at a market that they visited in uh, called Bywood Market. Uh, yes, it was just a really incredible experience and um, just being in the country and sending reports back to London uh, and doing lives was just brilliant. But I think another highlight which really stands out to me uh, is my first exclusive, my first royal exclusive, which uh, was released last week or a couple of weeks ago, um, all about Prince George uh, raising money for charity, uh, for the charity called Tusk. I was speaking to the chief executive uh, for of Tusk, which is a uh, charity which uh, tries to do lots of conservation work in Africa. And uh, Prince George was kind of inspired a bit by his uh, charity, which uh, Prince William is actually the patron of, and raised money and put on a bake sale. And that's gone global. There's been uh, papers and media outlets writing about it all over the world. So, yeah, I've been really happy so far with the stuff I covered for GB News. All right. Well, what I love about that particular story is that when you shine a light on a really important cause like that through Prince George and you're ma you're making that relevant now all of a sudden all these royal watchers want to get involved want to donate and want to participate too so you're doing good whether you know it or not that's awesome yeah, um, yeah exactly have, I have a stupid question I uh, I feel like sometimes I am intimidated around celebrities when I do celebrity interviews. It's just their presence, their posture. What is it like to be around members of the royal family? Do they have intimidating, you know, auras? Is uh, you know, is the environment intense, or are they like you know, stars, royals, just like us? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it was at first. I think what I have found is the first time you are up close with a certain member of the royal family for the first time that's when perhaps you're feeling slightly nervous or i don't think i'd say intimidated i don't think i've ever felt intimidated but definitely nervous because you know quite how famous they are quite how well known they are and kind of the history of 
that person. I've been lucky enough to see the Queen a couple of times before uh, when they, she'd been on various engagements and I happened to, to be there. Um, but I think the more you do it, the more you realise we're just kind of, you know, an everyday person. They're like you and me. They're, you know, they're human kind of after all. Uh, and I remember actually in uh, Canada when I was on tour, as we've just spoken about, Prince Charles was walking past me because I was in like a fixed point media position, which means I can't move. And I was in a pen. And Prince Charles walks past in this building and he looks me directly in the eye, kind of smiled, nodded and said hello. Uh, I don't think he probably knew who I was. But for me, that was a really special moment. I'd never had any kind of interaction with a royal before. So, yeah, they're fine. That's awesome. That is a special moment. Um, that leads me to my I'd like to focus on Prince William because this is his 40th year and uh, I am so jealous whenever I see that you're out with William and Catherine. That's really when the envy kicks in. Um, but how, do we know how he spent his birthday? Do we know how he spent his birthday? Yeah, we did. Um, so for his 40th birthday, he well, he's massive on homelessness and supporting uh, people who are in the unfortunate situation of not having anywhere to live and living on the streets. And I'm not sure if there's the same in the US, but in the UK, there's a magazine called The Big Issue, which allows uh, homeless people to sell this magazine uh, and kind of earn a legitimate income. And for his 40th birthday, Prince William decided to not only write an article for The Big Issue magazine, he also decided to spend time uh, with a seller of the magazine called Dave in London just a couple of weeks before he turned 40 to really understand and learn about the situation that uh, Dave was in as many thousands of homeless people are kind of around the world and it's something I think stems from Prince William's childhood because when he was uh, a boy Princess Diana his uh, his mother took him to a homeless shelter uh, alongside Prince Harry to from a very early age he knew the privilege which he had been born into, which I think really helped shape him as a person and has given him this drive and desire to always help others and indeed shine a light on issues, humanitarian issues especially, uh, which, you know, needs support from, you know, all of us as a society. So he did that and he, and he released this issue and we thought, okay, that's it. He's done this kind of good deed for his 40th birthday. He'll probably spend the day, the actual day privately. Oh no, he did not. <laughs> Uh, he went uh, privately without any cameras, without any media. None of us knew it was happening until it was over. And it was only because people on their mobile phones actually caught the moment. But he secretly went to the supermarket in Hammersmith, which is an area of London, to take Dave, the guy who he'd spent time with a couple of weeks before, uh, a slice of his own birthday cake and uh, spent time with him on his actual 40th birthday. So it was a really lovely kind of moments for us as royal reporters we love the spontaneity of stuff that's caught on a mobile phone rather than just uh you know official photographers or official camera fix points so that was really really nice and uh prince william's actually uh, a patron of center points which is a charity in the uk which supports uh homeless young people and it's one of his first patronages so in 2005 when he started doing kind of working royal stuff he chose Centrepoint and Tusk as his two first charities. So conservation and homelessness are two, you know, big projects which are really kind of close to his heart. 
Yeah, it's easy to get behind those, too. If you are a fan of Prince William, obviously, you know, if you're looking for charities to support, those are no-brainers. These are great options for him. And the the connection to Princess Diana, how does it not melt your heart? And it, it really makes you, it, it does, it gives me goosebumps to think about the fact that she had such an impact on her boys because, you know, she was taken from them early on. So the fact that she had such an incredible impact really does, it, make, it makes your heart heartbeat. Um, it feels like we're seeing a lot more of the Cambridge kids. Are we, were we just spoiled at Jubilee or do you think that we might get, you know, more of that because pictures are great, but how fun was it to see the family all communicating with each other, whether it be Louis jumping in his grandfather's lap or Mike and Louis, it was just so fun to actually see them engaging with each other. Oh, it was amazing. I think the Jubilee was definitely a unique uh, weekend. I think it's unusual that we get four days back to back uh, of members of the royal family doing very public engagements, especially with the Cambridges and their three children. They are very, very young. They're all under 10, um, especially, as you mentioned, Prince Louis cheekily sat on his grandfather's lap, lap or having a tantrum with uh, the Duchess of Cambridge at the pageants, which did very well on TikTok, actually, um, as, and as well as, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, when he put his hands over his ears when all the planes were flying over yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Um, after the uh, trooping, the colour celebration. So, yeah, really special moments. I think it was... Um, just a kind of anomaly that we were seeing them quite so much um, over that weekend. Um, but we know on Father's Day that Prince William has released uh, another photograph of him with his three children, George, Charlotte uh, and Louis. But I think uh, William and Kate are very keen to protect their children and they are very much aware of their future roles as working royals and they want to give them as normal a childhood as possible. Um, something which Prince William, I think, perhaps cherish the moments he could have um, as a child before uh, before all the kind of paparazzi shots with him and his mother. I know there's, there's stories of him sat in, his, in a car with Princess Diana having been chased by photographers and Princess Diana just broke down in tears. And I think that stayed with Prince William. So he's very, very keen to protect his children. Um, and they are, we, there's reports at least that they are going to be moving to uh, Berkshire near Windsor Castle later this summer to perhaps give them a bit more privacy but that doesn't mean we're not going to see them in big royal occasions going forward i think we're still going to get those regular updates of photographs on the children's birthdays or or at christmas or odd odd kind of engagements we'll see the children but yeah i don't think we'll see them back to back to back as we do with adult members of the royal family just yet right uh, there there's something you said just now about um, how, how they wanted to protect them and they wanted to kind of protect them from that world. I don't know if you noticed this during the um, first day, the birthday parade, but when we first got our glimpse of George and Charlotte and Louis, I think it might have been George, but somebody mouthed, wow. And so it was really fun to see through their eyes that, you know, they were they were enamored with the crowds and, and you know, all of the their, the excitement around them, too. So that was really exciting to see. They're just the cutest kids. Uh, but one thing that I've noticed is when they are um, William and Catherine on royal engagements, anytime Catherine has a child near her, anytime you see her loving on a baby, the Internet explodes and everybody starts wanting baby number four. 
of course it's unfair to put the to put this pressure on the Cambridges to have another baby. Uh, but obviously they make beautiful children. Obviously we love royal babies. What are the odds of that? You know, Catherine had two really difficult pregnancies, or at least two that I know of difficult pregnancies. Um, so what are the odds that there is there will be a baby number four? Is the internet just crazy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I think it's unlikely. Uh, yeah, she definitely suffered from morning sickness, I think, on all three of her children, actually. Quite bad acute morning sickness. Look, the couples always joke on engagements that whenever, like you say, whenever there's a baby around can see that, uh, oh, we need to make sure Kate stays away from that because she wants another one or, you know, something like that. Um, the Queen had four children, um, so it's not uncommon for members of the royal family to have many children. But I think it's very unusual nowadays, I think, if, if they did decide to have a fourth child, because it is a different generation. And I think perhaps the public wouldn't be too pleased with the Cambridges having a, a fourth child, um, although, you know, the, the child isn't funded directly by the, the British taxpayer all of the money on clothes and extra food, et cetera, would all be from their private funds. It gives that image, doesn't it, of kind of an overindulgent family who are very, very privileged. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think we would see them, you know, have another child. But like we said earlier, there's reports that they're going to be moving to Adelaide Cottage. And I think um, Will and Kate are very aware of the public image, and especially when it comes to public funds. Kensington Palace was done up um, using taxpayers' money, but the cottage that they are reportedly going to be moving into is already renovated. So we don't need any more taxpayers' money um, to foot the bill for them to move into that. So there's clearly signs that they are aware, especially in the cost of, cost of living crisis, that they can't overindulge too much. And I think another child perhaps would be a step too, too far, but, you know, never say never. Wow, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, as a child, and I've heard this specifically from Ken Wharf and Paul Burrell, as a child, Prince William sometimes said, I don't want to be king. You know, that's a lot of pressure. And then, of course, Prince Harry would chip in and go, I'll do it. Uh, but we have certainly seen a shift where he values this opportunity. He loves his, you know, the, his family, the monarchy, and he really is focused on... Um, on this role, on the future of the monarchy, do we know where that shift happened? Or did, you know, was that just a little boy that just didn't want a job, you know? Yeah, um, I don't think there would have been a single moment where he was like, I really want to be king now. I think it would have been very much kind of gradual. Um, he said in an interview, I think with the BBC's Nicholas Witchell back in 2016, uh, it's not at the top of his priority list, just kind of waiting to be king one day but i think over time he's realized the value he has for the royal family and the fact that the royal family really needs him to survive especially after uh, the duke and duchess of sussex harry Meghan decided to step back as senior members of the royal family and move to california especially after prince andrew and the damage uh, he has done to the monarchy um, over his friendship with convicted Pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, all of that, he knows he really needs to shore up the monarchy. And Prince William is very popular. He is the second most popular royal uh, in the UK after the Queen. And I think he is bound by duty. He is a very dutiful person. He knows what his role is, just like his grandmother does, and his father, actually, to some extent. And he knows what's expected of him. So I think as he's got older, as his family grow up, and he is now a full time working member of the royal family and will be for life, I think 
he is content with where his future lies. Look at you, you soundbite machine. Uh, speaking of <laughs> when they were kids, we've had, you know, we've mentioned Princess Diana before. And one of my favorite stories about Prince William as a young man was promising his mother that through, through the divorce, through the separation and the divorce, um, she lost her HRH title. And Prince William promised her that when he became king one day, he would give that back to her. I'm under the impression that that could possibly happen post-death because from what I read in multiple Diana biographies was that the royal family offered that to the Spencer family once Diana died, but the Spencer family was like, no, too, too little, too late. Um, is it a possibility for Prince William to give Diana her HRH status once he becomes king? And do you, I'm curious to know, do you think that that would be a priority for him? So from my understanding, and again, it's from what I've read, there's no example in British constitutional law where an HRH title has been given to somebody after that person has died. Diana lost her, H her HRH title uh, when she divorced Prince Charles in 1996. Um, and giving someone the Royal Highness title um, comes from the monarch, the acts, uh, kind of the letters patents they have to kind of sign. So that's why uh, in 2012, the Queen allowed Prince William and Catherine's children, all of them, to be automatically given the rights of a prince and a princess uh, and a HRH title because Prince William is the firstborn son of the firstborn son. Unlike Prince Harry, where he is not the firstborn son of the firstborn son, stay with me, <laughs> which is why, which is why um, Prince Harry's two children, Archie and Lilibet, aren't automatically given the HRH title. But to come back to your original point, perhaps it is possible when Prince William becomes king, because he is the person ultimately who would decide uh, if if he can grant somebody an HRH title, um, that he would give his mother that um, after the fact that she has died. But at the moment, there's nothing in law to suggest that is the case but who knows i think it would be an extraordinary i think it would be extraordinary if that were to happen um but we'll have to wait and see that's a great answer um i'm ex i'm excited to see if that happens too i think that he would win a lot of people i mean not that he has to win a lot of people over but i think that that would win a lot of people over instantly uh, just because people truly do still love his mother so much not only over there but over here in the united states um there's there's been criticism recently about Kate, comparisons to Kate and Diana, uh, that it was specifically um, by Dickie Arbiter's daughter, is it Victoria? I'll yeah, Victoria. Yeah, Victoria. Uh, specifically criticizing the idea of these comparisons to uh, the Duchess of Cambridge and Princess Diana. I see them almost every day, but Meghan deals with the same thing. Um, is that unfair to compare the women to Princess Diana, somebody that's so loved all over the world, you know, almost thought of as a martyr now? Or is that a really big compliment because these are two beautiful women that have, you know, good hearts? Yeah, Martha's is a very good description, actually, can see. Um, so Kate and Diana are from different eras, aren't they? So there was a lot of pressure on Kate, I think, when she first married Prince William, and there has continued to be that pressure. But I think as time goes on, Kate has very much carved a role out for herself. She has definitely gained the love and respect 
of the public as Diana did. She's grown in confidence. She's doing more and more solo engagements nowadays. Uh, she's very heavily involved uh, and has a huge passion for uh, early childhood and uh, improving life chances for younger children because she knows that there is kind of a, a, a big kind of correlation between those first five years of life and your life chances as an adult when you grow up. So she's really interested in that as well as kind of mental health. Um, Diana was complicated and, you know, after her death, as you said, she was kind of treated as a martyr figure, almost kind of saint-like, wasn't she? So living up to that is pretty hard for <laughs> Kate, <laughs> um, in my opinion. But I don't think Kate needs to be compared to Diana. She's her own person. She's a modern royal and she's a future queen, isn't she, for the 21st century? Agreed. And I think that the early childhood development projects that she does really makes her stand out because that is something we hadn't seen from anybody before in the royal family. It makes us all think. And uh, it's really interesting, you know, information that she's developed through some of these surveys and pro uh, projects that she's had. So that's an absolute, um, that's a really gr great point that she's finding these unique ways to stand out. What changes are we hearing when it comes to Prince William and the monarchy? I feel like this story circulates pretty regularly. Prince William's going to wipe it all out. Here's what he's up to. What are you hearing that Prince William would do uh, upon ascending the throne? Well, from my understanding, I think Prince William certainly has a lot more influence now than he did perhaps five, ten years ago. Um, uh, Garth, the Garter Day a couple of weeks ago is actually a fine example of this, uh, where there was rumours that Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, really wanted to take part in the public parts of that kind of ancient ceremony, which clearly would have gone down like a lead balloon with the public for obvious reasons, which I won't go into here. And uh, Prince Charles and Prince William were very much aware of the public mood about Prince Andrew. Ultimately, the Queen has final say, but uh, from what we understand, Prince Andrew has quite a lot of influence with Her Majesty the Queen. And Prince William threatened, according to the Evening Standards, to walk out the entire Garter Day and not take part at all if Prince Andrew decided to take part in the public uh, elements of the service. So clearly, Prince Andrew did not take part in those elements. So I think that's just one example of how uh, his influence is really kind of stepping up. I think Prince William and Prince Charles are very much on the same page when it comes to uh, they want to slim down the monarchy and make it more relevant uh, to the British public and indeed kind of the world. We saw a fine example of that on a Platinum Jubilee weekend where it was only working members of the royal family on the balcony for that appearance. And I think when Her Majesty the Queen is uh, no longer with us and Prince Charles is king, it will be even more slimmed down version of the monarchy with just Charles, Camilla, William and Kate and their three children. Um, I also think a big difference uh, and something which uh, Prince William is going to change is the Queen's kind of never complain, never explain policy when it wow. comes to stories. Um, we saw that there was a lot of heavy criticism from uh, Will and Kate's Caribbean tour. Yes, and yes. Off the back of the tour, um, royal journalists, some royal journalists at least, at least were briefed that Prince William is very much going to be doing things the Cambridge way from now on, i.e. if the record is uh, incorrect, he wants it corrected. And if he doesn't like something that's written, he will very much 
uh, Boyce's concerns on that. But there's no kind of exact details of what he meant by that phrase, the Cambridge way. But that would be my best guess of what he means. Um, that's interesting because I think one of, and I I, tr- I was trying to do a Sussex Free podcast, but here we are. One of Megan's biggest criticisms during the Oprah interview was that nobody corrected the stories. So that would be interesting if Prince William changed that direction and wanted somebody that specifically shot down incorrect stories, things that were cruel and just unnecessary. I would re- I would be really uh, excited to see that happen because as you know, because I bet your inbox looks like mine with every, you know, outlet, all of their royal emails every day. Sometimes you open it and you go, there's no way that's true. I can't believe somebody published that. It's clearly clickbait. And I'm sure that the royal family would love to end the clickbait game. Um, And I bet actually that Harry and William do truly have a lot in common when it comes to ideas for positive ways to change the monarchy. It's just, as we've discussed in our personal lives, sometimes patience is a virtue. And some people have more patience than other people have. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about um, the Caribbean tour. Do you have anything to say about, do you have any opinion about the Caribbean tour? Was it the nightmare that they said it was? I didn't feel that way, but I am watching from Los Angeles, California. You have much more of a, a, a you know, a, a part in that world. Yeah, so I thought the coverage was slightly unfair on William and Kate. So this tour happens probably a month before I started my role as full-time royal reporter for GB News. Um, And I think there are a couple of examples where it was perhaps slightly unfair or tilted, tinted coverage. So there was that kind of really famous um, awkward photograph of Prince William and Kate greeting children from Jamaica through a wired fence, which people then jumped on the bad bandwagon especially on twitter and started saying that it's it's harking back to colonial days with slaves in cages etc 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 what actually happened if you're on the grounds there is will and kate were at a football match with the football player uh raheem sterling he was from jamaica he set up a foundation there that was the whole point um and children did wanted to watch and it just so happens that the the football match was uh, in a on, on a pitch which was kind of uh surrounded by this wide fence and the children were calling over really desperate to meet the royal couple um and will and kate obliged and they went over and greeted the kids as did raheem sterling who's from jamaica two three minutes later exactly the same camera angles exactly the same style of photographs but clearly that photo did not get picked up as much as will and kate's photo and it certainly did not get as much criticism and what would have happened if will and kate ignored the children Ugh. and just walked off like clearly they would have got so much criticism for that and exactly. that would have been you know warranted criticism in my opinion so they were just being nice so i think that was slightly unfair the protests, yes, there were protests um, in every, or at least most of the Caribbean islands or nations they visited um, about, you know, calls for reparations from Britain for uh, its role in the historical Atlantic slave trade, for example. Um, but the protests were very small in comparison with uh, the uh, population of the countries. But those protests were clearly the headline rather than, you know, the really good kind of charitable work. So Prince yeah. William, it's a shame really, because the the whole point of the tour was to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, 
as well as highlighting causes close to their hearts. So uh, William and Kate visited a couple of schools for Kate's early childhood stuff. Uh, they also visited uh, one of the Earthshot Prize winners, which is a kind of a global prize which Prince William launched in 2020, trying to find solutions to climate change over the next 10 years or ways to prepare, repair the planet. One of which was in, um, I think it was Grand Bahamas, I can't remember exactly which islands, but basically uh, they are kind of planted lots of coral to try and replenish the ocean. So they visited that. But clearly that got hardly any coverage because all they were talking about was kids in a cage, Mm -hmm. uh protests and them on the top of the of a land rover as well um which i mean that was a slightly unfortunate pro um photograph the land rover one where they were driving around in the same land rover her majesty the queen did 70 years previously because it gave that look of colonialism again perhaps yeah. that was slightly misjudged um i can see what they were trying to do they were trying to um show the continuation of the monarchy from her majesty the queen in jamaica to Prince William, future king in Jamaica. But, you know, it is what it is. It's open to opinion, isn't it? But I think the media coverage was slightly unfair overall. I agree, I agree. How much of these changes to the monarchy are Prince William's instinct, you know, as a leader, as a natural born leader, he seems to be, and how much is it the survival of the monarchy. I mean, I don't feel like he's desperate. I feel like he's in intuitive and intelligent. Yeah, I think the two probably go a little bit hand in hand. Um, I think on the on the one hand, um, you know, William, William knows that um, the monarchy needs to be flexible and be able to adapt to change in order to survive. And he's also going to be head of that monarchy one day. So he's very much aware of his role um, and kind of his intuition intuition and modern perspective on the world in the world of social media and and paparazzi and and you know climate change repairing the oceans homelessness all of that i think he'll very much wants to keep and making sure the monarchy perhaps stays relevant to to the british public who you know kind of keep it in its in its place by making a difference and helping homelessness and helping with climate change and conservation and all of these passions which he now has uh, as an heir to the throne, he will perhaps want to continue in his role as future king. Brilliant. And um, a lot of those those things he's passionate about, specifically the environment, that's something that we also see his father passionate about. We hear a lot about how Charles and William are similar from their temper to some of their charities that they work with. but how are they different yeah there are they are certainly different in a few ways i mean clearly born in different eras so that kind of goes without saying um i think william what what's really sad to me actually is that william was pretty much allowed to marry who he wanted to um and prince charles wasn't which clearly led to the divorce of charles and diana in 1996 and the fallout from that um, I think Prince Charles is a bit of a workaholic as well. His his diaries booked up like six, seven months in advance. So it's kind of no wiggle room for like a last minute birthday party or a last minute family event. Whereas Prince William's perhaps a bit more of a family man and wanting to spend a lot more time with his offspring, with his children um, than his father did with him. But I think it was difficult for Charles because he became heir apparent aged four. I mean, clearly he wasn't being a working royal aged four. But my point being, when Prince William and Harry were little babies, 
Prince Charles was having to support the Queen as heir to the throne, whereas William has two generations ahead of him, the Queen and Prince Charles. So he had the luxury of a lot more time to spend with his family and and you know and and friends. So I think that's kind of two big um, kind of differences, as well as Prince William's passions. I mean, they both share a passion of conservation and the environment, but Prince William is a lot more open about his mental health mm. and uh, talking openly about mental health struggles, especially um, him, him as an ambulance pilot um, and things like that. It, it, they both have very different charitable interests, I think, overall. Oh, that's a good answer. Who do you think Prince William is like within the royal family the most? Um, same with Catherine. I know we talked about Diana comparisons, but I'm seeing a little bit of the Queen in, in, in Catherine. How are you? That's interesting, because I was going to say that um, Prince William is a lot like the Queen, because yeah. they both have a sense of duty. Um, as far as I'm aware, they don't have, don't have any kind of major scandals attached to their name. Um, and they both kind of very much get on with the job. Yeah. Um, and Catherine clearly is the future queen and all of the above, I think, equally stands. Um, but I think she's a bit like Princess Anne, to be honest, the Princess Royal, the Queen's daughter. Um, stay with me on this. I think the reason <laughs> being they clearly both have a sense of duty and get on with the jo job. But they were recently at a joint engagement together um, supporting women's health care and healthcare charities. It's a passion they share together. Um, and they visited the um, their new kind of headquarters in London. They're both, so basically, I'm going to write this down. I've written this down because they're very long titles and I want to get them right. Yes. So Anne has been patron of the Royal College of Midwives for 20 years. Okay. And Kate has been patron of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists um, since 2018. Very long titles. Anyway, my point being, they have a big new headquarters in London and they went to open and visit it. Um, and I think it was a really lovely engagement because you could tell that they both had chemistry. They both kind of liked each other um, and they were both very much passionate um, and um, really interested in how women's health care is being improved within the United Kingdom. So I think that's where they share similarities. That's such a flattering answer, too, because I think the Princess Royal is one of the most admired, hardest working members of the royal family. So I'm sure that the Duchess of Cambridge would be beyond flattered by that that answer. Um, you've said it a couple of times that, you know, William and Catherine are very protective of their family, very private, which I love. But a little nosy part of me wants to know. Are they still friends, do you imagine, with their college friends who, you know, William and Catherine were roommates for a little while. There were people around them that actually got to see this love blossom on campus. Do we think that they're still friends with any of their friends from school? Because I would totally watch that reunion, that reality show. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Imagine like a big brother, but for Royals and all their exactly. friends. That would be incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think perhaps they do. Um, although I think it would clearly mostly be private visits. We know that um, well, at least it's rumoured that Prince William has a very close, small, but close, tight-knit circle of friends, especially when he was growing up in his teenage years yeah. and early 20s. He trusted a very small group of friends and individuals in order for him to let his hair down. <laughs> Prince Harry perhaps chose slightly less wisely, which is why um, there were so many awkward photographs, if we put it put it that way, uh, in terms of leaks, etc. Um, but yeah, you're right. They did... Um, William and Catherine went to St Andrews University in Scotland. They both stayed in halls for the first year. But in the second and third year, they 
shared a house with friends. So they do have those relationships. And some of those friends are now godparents of the Cambridge's children. So they do very much stay in touch, we're led to believe. But clearly it's all going to be private visits. Um, I don't think we would get much in the way of intel of what they do or what they get up to on a Saturday in Norfolk. So yeah, it wouldn't (laughs) surprise me if they do have friends. That's so sweet. This is a te- really a technical question. I was watching um, Farage last night, and he mentioned this as well. How many days go by? How many stories happen when we are reminded that um, polling-wise, a lot of people would like to skip Prince Charles and go straight to Prince William? I mean, I think that that's impossible. If so, I mean, can you just explain to me if that's impossible or, or not to skip Prince Charles and go straight to Prince William? Yeah, so I mean, the latest YouGov poll shows that Prince William is second most popular royal after the Queen. Prince Charles is number six. So it's like, it's a big difference. But I don't think it's a good idea for the royal family to skip a generation just because one of them is more popular than the other. It's a huge danger because the monarchy is hereditary and it, and it symbolises stability for the country and if you you're essentially if you skip to William because William's more popular, you're essentially choosing the head of state. Yeah. And at which point you might as well have a republic and not have a monarchy at all because you're effectively voting on your head of state. So that would be a huge, huge danger. And I think monarchy works because for better or worse, it's hereditary and it's passed down through the generations and knowledge is passed down through the generations. So I think it is safer and better that we have Prince Charles first. And when Prince William is ready, then it will be Prince William. But I think it would be a huge danger to skip a generation. Brilliant answer. Uh, do you have any predictions for Prince William's 40th year? Well, we know that we've got the Earthshot Prize in 2022 in the autumn, um, which is going to be in the United States, actually, this Come year. On, so I will over. be coming over. I will be coming over. Um, I don't know when it is yet, but we are expecting that at some point. So clearly Prince William um, will be going over to the States for that. Um, We've had mental health and homelessness, big engagements for that this year so far. Um, What we haven't had, as far as I'm aware, is a big conservation um, engagement. Um, We're going to have the Earthshot Prize, as I've mentioned, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's another engagement on the environment uh, or wildlife or conservation or something like that. But apart from that, we've got to wait and see. There's, or they keep Kensington Palace, uh, Prince William's office keeps usually very tight-lipped about these type of engagements until a lot closer to the time. But watch for this space. I love it. And then, do you do you think Prince William will be a good king? I think the public um, certainly think so. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very very popular. He does lots of charity work, and he gets on with it with no fuss. I don't mm-hmm. think. L- like we'd spoken about homelessness earlier and the big issue thing, he doesn't need a massive camera crew or paparazzi photographers to do his job. He gets on with it. He knows his duty. He wants to make a difference and help people while he can. Um, And I think he will keep this up to the best of his ability when he is king, um, as well as all his constitutional duties. Um, He's a councillor of state, so he is obliged to support the queen already when the queen uh, is unavailable to carry out constitutional roles. That's why we saw him um, at the state opening of Parliament with Prince Charles when Her Majesty was um, experiencing too many mobility issues. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think he will be a really good king. 
I agree. Yeah, he seems to have a really good moral compass, and I just think he—I just love him. I see, I see both his mom and dad in him, and I love both, you know, all the traits that he collected from both of them. Cameron, how can people keep up with you and follow your royal reporting? Oh, so many ways. <laughs> Thank you. So um, GB News is obviously on the television if you live in the UK. If you don't live in the UK, we live stream 24-7 on YouTube, so you can catch us there. We've also got an app. And then my personal, if you want to find the royal um, stories first, go to my Twitter, at Cameron D.L. Walker. Instagram, if you want some behind-the-scenes snaps as well, at Cameron D.L. Walker. All my stuff is at Cameron D.L. Walker, so check me out there. And I will link that all on todiefordaily.com. Cameron, it's been so fun to talk to you today. Um, you're one of my favorite new friends. You're so well-versed on all things royal. So what a good get I had in you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to the To Die For Daily podcast with Kinsey Schofield. A transcript of this chat is available at todiefordaily.com. Please subscribe to hear more from your favorite royal commentators. Cheers. <laughs>